Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. We've had a number of discussions on this program about how the health system turned on a dime last spring and changed the way they provided health care for the past year. And we've talked about how telehealth went through a renaissance and became the next wave of health care access for this country. Today, we're honored to have Dr. James Stalkup, Chief Medical Informatics Officer and Medical Director for the Wilma P. Mankiller Health Center in the Cherokee Nation. Dr. Stalkup took virtual health care to a whole new level in a rural area of Oklahoma, and more so, he did so on a shoestring budget. The virtual front desk was set up for $100, and he made it very safe for his staff. Excited to hear Dr. Stalkup's story. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Z-E-L-I-S, Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And as I've said, we've got Dr. James Stalkup, Chief Medical Informatics Officer and Medical Director for the Wilma P. Mankiller Health Center. Dr. Stalkup, welcome. Happy to have you on our show today. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It's good to be here. Dr. James W. Stalkup, a.k.a. Jimmy Joe Coltrane. I'm excited to be on this podcast. <laughs> Do you know the number one reason I'm excited to be on this podcast? No, tell, tell um, us. So I listened to the some of the previous ones, you oh, know, because yeah. yeah. Michael McNutt, my buddy, had told me about it. So I listened to some of the previous ones. And, bro, you are a voice actor. Like, you <laughs> you do an incredible job hosting the voice acting, the everything. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get into the voice acting field because I have an accent. I, you may be able to hear it. You may not. But I have an accent. But, yeah, it's really kind of cool to talk to you and get to see, you know, you do the craft and also, you know, kind of host this and lead us down a road. It's a good topic. Really excited to be here, sir. Well, Great. Thank you, Dr. Stalkup. I'll have to look into, you know, what, what's coming up in animation that I can, you know, get into that field. I, I want, I've always wanted to play a mouse. So it's good. good. That's good. If you can get into that, they say yeah. it's good. That's gravy. Getting <laughs> That's those good. voice acting gigs. And I'm waiting on the cartoon that casts like the, the middle aged overweight redneck animated character. And then you're going to nail it, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm in on that one. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's let's talk about that actually, because I would like to hear your personal story here. How uh, what's what's the narrative arc of somebody who's been an actor, a pro wrestler, uh, probably most importantly, a Saved by the Bell super fan? How did you get uh, into your current role as a healthcare leader in uh, informatics and as a physician? So, um, so I'm, I'll, I'll give you like the abridged story because like who wants to hear a biography? You know, maybe not everybody. But, uh, yeah, so I grew up in a little town in Arkansas and I dropped out of high school when I was 16. And then I went to a little small college and, uh, I just went to the library one day and just devoted my life to studying. And, uh, so then I, I ended up going to university of Mississippi and then went to medical school in Arkansas and then did family medicine. Here is where the story gets interesting. Mm. So I went to practice in a clinic in, uh, kind of a rural area. In Arkansas, shout out to Madison County. Um, and I did a like we did an EHR deployment with uh, eClinical Works, and I was the fastest that there'd ever been. Like I got so fast with that EHR. 
you know, so fast with that EHR that I ended up getting, uh, you know, got the opportunity to interview with Cherokee Nation and uh, to be uh, medical director uh, of a clinic up in Nowata, Oklahoma. It's kind of up by the Kansas border. And uh, they were looking at replacing the EHR. And I knew about this and I said, Hey, I can do that. I'm fast in the EHR and I built all the order sets and I did, you know, just all kind of the piecemeal stuff. And so they let me kind of get involved with some EHR projects and later on ended up becoming chief medical informatics officer and the rest, as they say, is history. And so I do, I like the, uh, I like doing a lot of clinical improvement projects that have kind of a wrestling theme. Uh, I like hot rods. I like Great big motors make a lot of power. Like so, we like uh, and some of the other guys in the department, you know, health IT department. Shout out to Kobe Four Killer. They like hot rods too, and so we got a lot of common interests. I still practice medicine, but yo, I got to tell you, Matthew, I don't practice that much medicine. I practice like a day a week. I got my toe, I got my big toe in the medicine pool. Is that right? Is you got to right? keep practicing because if you're like yo, if you're a CMIO and you don't still practice. Then you don't got any street cred. Sorry. Right. And I would imagine you wouldn't know the practical application of the decisions you're making, right? Yeah, you got to use it. Like, yeah, how, how do you know what to do if you don't use it? You know? Right, exactly. I'm still trying to connect, make the connection between uh, co- the connection you just made between the relationship between wrestling and uh, health informatics. Uh, maybe well, that's time. Go ahead. So this, is a, so this is an interesting point, right? So, you know, I always like, like I like theater, like, so we, we got a big health IT project that's going live. So I bought a star and I named that star go live is April 6, 2021. And then on every call, I like show a map of that star. And Wait, I'm like, like a star. Hey, we like can't a star in the space. Like a star in the sky. Okay. Like so right now, yeah. Matthew, there could be, I mean, we don't know what's out there. There could be beings on planets orbiting that star who are like, you know, that when they like worship or what, whatever they're doing with that star, they're right. like, that's, that's April, that's go live is April 6, 2021. Like that's the name of that star. Go live is April 6. And then in meetings, if something looks like it's going to be a delay, I'm like, yo fam, there's a star up there. We don't want to, <laughs> we're not going to. So I like theater. And the good thing about the transition to virtual, obviously there's nothing good about COVID. It's awful. But the good thing about transition to, vir- to uh, virtual is now Everything is literally a stage. Like now, lighting, proper audio, proper, you know, the the proper virtual staging is how you define your impression and your presence. You know, I love it that job interviews are virtual. I love it that patient care is virtual. Like I am embracing it because it has brought that theater in. Did you know, shout out to Stephanie Buckskin. She's an informaticist. One of the most valuable things that she brings to my department is she's got experience in theater. Isn't that crazy? This is you got experience in theater. And now when we present data, we are literally tailoring our presentations to be more theatrical because it gets higher engagement. So so this is great. So now so what you're talking about is doctors talking to doctors, where you're talking about you're talking to the doctors and you're trying to, you know, impress upon them a certain system, a certain process. But um, you know, how let's let's work on this idea of the the pandemic has kind of created this theater. And and I do think that, you know, every day many of us go and we look at ourselves in the Brady Bunch. Uh, cubes and we see ourselves in a, in a in, on TV. Uh, so what does that do 
and, and maybe this is connected to, to telehealth, right? What does that do to the patient-doctor relationship? How, how does that change my idea of self uh, when I'm in front of a doctor as a person? And, and does it change uh, who the doctor is? And, and, and is, there, is there different, uh, like you were saying, you know, are there different resumes that are required to be a doctor now that, that, that we're going virtual? Well, so this is a, oh, this is a great question. So I have, uh, so of my docs that I have, I have 10 providers here in the clinic. So I've got a guy down the hall um, that I will promise you is four standard deviations above the median in his ability to conduct telemedicine visits. He's, he's fantastic. I mean, it's just like, I have heard him doing it. Mm. It is amazing right? Like the way he's able to articulate, to get rapport with the patients. It's easier on patients that you've seen than it is on new patients, but people are receptive. People have been doing online therapy for years. I've got a, uh, uh, a good close friend who, you know, was talking about the benefits of online therapy. There may be, uh, some advantages to a certain degree of depersonalization in some problems. Now, what we have to do is we have to say, this is within the palette by which you paint your patient care. It's part of your life now. We didn't anticipate it, but it is part of your life. So providers, and yo, I'm not knocking providers like I get, you know, I don't need to pick up any more haters, but but providers don't have the same phone training that front-facing staff do, you know, they don't, I mean, they may not know to identify themselves. You know, when I call a patient, I smile with my voice. Like if I was going to, if I was going to call you, Matthew, for a patient visit, I'd say, hey, this is Dr. James W. Stalker from the Wilma P. Mancular Health Center, and I am excited because I'm getting to call my favorite patient today. And then you'd say, oh, it's Dr. Stalker. I mean, we start off at a good thing, you know, but mm-hmm. we, I avoid that, you know, I identify myself where, here's where I'm calling from. Here's my name. Like little things like that never got taught. Mm-hmm. And so now we have a cadre and it's not just practicing docs. I mean, we're talking about administration, every, you know, we have a cadre of people who weren't used to the spotlight. They didn't play in a rock band in college. They didn't do, you know, they, they didn't have that. And so now we're virtualizing it. Um, patients are very receptive if you present it correctly. And it is very, very rich. It's a very rich avenue of communication. I always say no patient realizes they need a video visit until they do the first one. Hmm. Like I can call a patient, a, a patient will be happy if I do 20 phone visits with them. But if on the 11th phone visit, we do it via video, then they're going to want video from then on because wow. there's a lot of nonverbal communication that's lost. And you don't realize how impactful, Matthew, that nonverbal communication is until you see it. You do the Pepsi challenge. I did a phone visit. I did a video visit. The video visit is remarkably better. Now, how does it feel to establish a doctor-patient relationship with an entire panel of patients without seeing them in person, I think is going to be many years before we ever, you know, dive deep enough into that to know. I think that there's going to be a mismatch. We're still going to do in-person care. But the point that I try to make is, you know, and this is the, um, when I, I've gotten in a few debates about telemedicine and I, you know, I, I get what people are saying. Like doctors are, you know, and, and I am one, so I can say this. We like to pick one outlier kind of scenario, right? And then use that one scenario as a reason you can't do it. 
And so uh, right now, if you go into a room with a group of, let's say, doctors who aren't crazy about telemedicine, they will give you examples of what can't be done, right? Mm -hmm. They'll give you an example of, well, I don't think that we can, you know, really, you know, identify this and they'll lay out some clinical conditions. I can pull out a schedule of patients that I saw in real life, right? And here are the complaints. And I may have to go 19 patients deep before I find one that I couldn't do via telemedicine. So my argument is not that you can replace in-person care with telemedicine. My argument is that you can take 95% of people, make them not have to pump gasoline into the car, get in the car, drive to the clinic. You know, you can offload a lot of that care that lends itself to virtualization that Mm. gives you more bandwidth to do the in-person care, you know. And then after I say that, I say, yo, you can't tap on a liver and figure out how big it is. Like nobody's taking anybody to nobody's (laughs) like nobody's removing an appendix without a CAT scan. You know, it's not a clinical diagnosis. Everybody gets CAT scan. You know, the patient comes in and says, I mean, I don't know what you're looking for. Like patient comes in and says, I got right lower quadrant pain. Like I like you want to talk about theater. I like the theater of pressing on their belly and having a very stern look on my face. Like I'm taking in like this massive amount of clinical information. But and then I walk over the EHR and I click CAT scan. And I can't scan them. They got appendicitis that gets removed. I mean, it, there's not a lot that you truly have to have to do in person. But that's, that's great. That's that's great. So so let's take that and uh, uh, let's take that uh, because you actually did this. You 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 implemented a number a number of kind of basic administrative tasks and clinical tasks in your hospital um, when the pandemic hit. Uh, turned around on a dime. Uh, resources were slim, uh, but you uh, MacGyvered it, as, as somebody said. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, about how uh, some of the simple steps you did, uh, not simple, but kind of creative simple steps, right? So the work the workflow is the most important. And, you know, I think that if if I could have one thing that, that like people would remember, you know, when I say this is you need to have a Visio diagram for everything that you do. Like everything needs a Visio. If you're going to have 10 service lines of telemedicine, you t- need to take every possible scenario and, and do a Visio for it, right? So here's the way I can do telemedicine in this clinic. Like I can be in the clinic, the patient can be at home. I could be at home, the patient could be in the clinic. I could be at home, the patient could be at home. Or we could both be in the clinic, but to prevent us from infecting each other with COVID-19, they're across the hall. And I'm doing telemedicine from my room to their room, which is something that we really, really need to focus on. There is uh, a huge, huge simplicity to doing that. The telemedicine from and the, the reimbursement is very high, right? The reimbursement doesn't matter if we're sharing the same content of air within a room. But uh, so we cover so Cherokee Nation, we've got 14 uh, counties, we've got nine clinics, a hospital, and so we've got a very big, broad rural area. And in this area, we had to figure out how could we deploy telemedicine really, really quick. How could we take what we have on hand? And so we leveraged a lot of things that were existing. Uh, We had a lot of webcams. We happened to have a lot of webcams. It got to where, boy, I mean, these Wall Street bets guys, rather than GameStop, they should have figured out the (laughs) webcams were going to, you couldn't get a webcam. Did you ever see that? Right. Or or like, I I don't understand that either. Yeah. Like people like, 
somebody's in an alley with like with the trunk of the car popped up and selling webcams. You just couldn't get them. But anyway, so you know, we took the webcams that we had. We use uh, Microsoft Skype uh, for inter intra Cherokee Nation communications. Right? We would do ad hoc meetings with them. That's where that was our platform. We leveraged that to actually do telemedicine. So we set up the computers and put webcams into the room. And so because we all shared the same network and because we had built our active directory and used our Microsoft product and and some of our third-party products to sort of get everyone connected before the pandemic, it lent itself very well to saying, okay, we can take these 150 devices that now we don't need because these people aren't in the office and deploy them to exam rooms, whether it was, you know, webcams, you know, speaker bar. I mean, little things are important, like speakers for the computer are important. So that was a, that was a big thing is being able to re sort of deploy existing technology and having that infrastructure and having people to train it. And so the second thing that was really important is we ran a noon one hour training every day for five weeks, where if you wanted to learn how to use any of our solutions, if you wanted to learn how to use Skype and become a master at it, you can just join as much as you wanted to. And that was really good in getting the training out there. And then we published the workflows that people knew here was the way to do it. But the, the, the fundamental premise that we went with, that guided all of it, is very early on, like when we were just reading about this, I said, yo, we have to treat every patient as if they're a source of radiation. And so my team was like, he's finally off the deep end. I was like, I'm not on the, I'm not off the deep end. I'm still on the deep end. I don't know what the opposite is. I'm still on the diving board, whatever. Right. But I'm, I haven't fallen off the deep end. What I'm saying is when you have a source of radiation, what do you do? Well, number one, you stay far away from it and you don't let it in the building. Right. But if it is in the building, then you use appropriate protective equipment and you minimize your time that you're exposed to it. Right. So if you look at somebody shooting an x-ray, What do they do? They have lead apron on, right? They step outside of the room. They create Mm -hmm. distance between them and the source of radiation. So that was our sort of philosophy that we went with. So all the workflows were built around that. We found that if you give your doctors the ability to get out of doing a telemedicine visit, they're more likely to do it. So here's what I said. I said, yo, I said, every site we're going to have a escalation provider. So if you're doing a telemedicine visit and you're getting into something that needs in-person care, you just escalate it. You just do a warm handoff. You Skype that person who's on site, ready with all the PPE and everything. If somebody needs an exam. And so, you know, there's a, um, sort of a interesting sort of thing that happens. And this is a, this is sort of an example of how this can happen. So you have a young, uh, reproductive age female who has abdominal pain, uh, this person gets evaluated by telemedicine. They get an abdominal plane film. They get a pregnancy test. They get, you know, a, a urinalysis. They get all of the lab work. And then once all that's done, there's a warm handoff to the escalation provider who actually goes into the room and performs a physical exam. Now, once you give those telemedicine the provi- providers the ability to escalate, they don't want to escalate it. They don't want to escalate those patients. They want the ability to escalate those patients. And so we would have nine providers at home and get maybe one escalation a day from nine providers doing full-time telemedicine. 
So having the, but, but if we don't say, and, and like, and, and Matthew, don't get this twisted. I want you to understand what I'm saying. If we don't give them the opportunity to escalate that patient, now we have locked them into a room in which they are uncomfortable and there's no door. There's no way to get out of it. Right. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that they always have the ability to escalate that person. So now we've minimized, once again, kind of the radiation analogy, we've minimized that because we've got one person, that person can be, and uh, you know, I, I'm just going to say this because it's practical. I'm not saying it's right or anything. That person can be young and healthy. That can be a young, healthy provider who doesn't have comorbidities that put them at high risk for dying if they get COVID. I'm sorry. I don't know how anybody feels about that. This is a weird sort of space we're in, but that is possible that you can make that person someone who is more, excuse me, someone who is more um, resistant, if you would say, to severe disease. Another thing that we did is we had a chaperone nurse. So we wanted to minimize the time. The nurses, you know, we we knew, and and this sort of came about when, sort of we were watching what happened overseas where the like entire nursing staffs were just getting, you know, taken out of commission from COVID infection. So we said we want to keep the nurses safe. So we invented a position called a chaperone nurse. Chaperone nurse's job is to grab the patient, get vitals, get them in a room, open up the telemedicine channel and walk out. And so we Ah. could room a patient and do vitals in under two minutes. So that's under two minutes time. So now we got a nurse who's in full PPE. And so this kind of expands and now we're doing more things in the parking lot. We're doing blood draws in the parking lot. We're doing swabs in the parking lot. You know, this is all sort of scalable, but you have to, this was an IT push strategy. Like somebody had to kind of, and, and let me back up when I say that. I'm not self-aggrandizing. There's a lot of people who are really important on this, but somebody had to actually define the workflows. Right. And so I worked with the di- the individual service lines to kind of define these workflows. And we deployed, and this is true, Matthew, don't Google it. This is true. <laughs> don't look it up. It's true. Don't look it up. We, I think we deployed 14 service lines in five weeks wow. of telemedicine. And so, you know, you don't want the, you don't want the front staff to get sick either. Right. You don't want your receptionist. So what you do is you get a Kindle Fire for 50 bucks. You get two of them. You put Zoom on both of them. You run Zoom over your own network. You yeah. you have to buy, because the little USB plugs they have, the micro USB is too short. So you want to also order a little stand for the Kindle. And you got to be careful if you are getting the stands that clamp on them. You got to be careful not to get one that clamps the volume button and that does allow room for the USB. So you want to make sure and not buy the wrong stands. So you get the Kindle, that's 50 bucks. You get the stand, that's like 15. And then you spend five or six bucks and get like a 15-foot-long micro-USB thing. And then you leave a Zoom meeting open from the Kindle on the front desk to a Kindle in the back where your registration staff is, and then they do everything virtually. They literally take every action. They've got the EHR open back there. They're doing registration. Somebody is showing their ID to verify it. You know, we kind of toyed around with doing screen capture and stuff like that. But I say it's a hundred bucks. You're going to be out probably a hundred and thirty bucks. But I'm going to strongly recommend if you do that, you do a Kindle Fire because it has great audio mm-hmm. and it's loud enough that the patient can hear it. And a lot of these little uh, tablets are just not adequate. So there's just a, that's a freebie. It's a pro tip on how you can virtualize. So if you have a pallet of Kindle Fire tablets, um, you can, you know, if you if you've got enough Zoom 
on hand that you can, you know, create those accounts. You can literally virtualize any position as long as you got a network that can get Wi-Fi to the tablet. So right. that that works not only for registration staff, but that can work for, you know, dietitians, benefit advocates. You know, you can do pharmacy counseling over them. So that's another kind of cheap way you can do it. But you got to have the, like the cheap hardware is like one thing. And there's like a lot of multi-million dollars. The cheap hardware is like one thing, but then just designing everything with a goal in mind. They got to have the goal and then everything kind of supports that goal. Right. So, so I don't know. That, that's just, that's kind of how we went after. I was you know, fascinating. Great story. And and thanks for the IT tips too. And, and the idea of it being a closed system, I think is great too, for security privacy reasons too. Um, uh, when you mentioned Visio and the whole idea of draw, do the work of drawing out the process maps, you know, figure out what the goal is. Um, did you find, uh, which I find whenever I pull out Visio, which I love, drawing out the process, did you find that there were things you ran into that um, that it was beneficial even for business processes in general for the hospital, where uh, outside of the pandemic or outside of this idea that the, you had to be six feet away? In other words, did you have people pointing to things saying, well, why do we do this step? Didn't we do this step back here at number page two, right? Did you did you find that that whole practice actually tightened up your hospital's business processes across the globe? And that's what it's going to look like in after the pandemic? So that's a very good question. First of all, Matthew, I took some liberties with your audience, which I should not have. <laughs> Visio is a uh, flowchart software that Microsoft makes. It's like you make little flowcharts. There's like a million of them. You can use, you don't have to use Visio. You can that's not an endorsement of Visio. You can use a a freebie, but basically it's got the little arrows. You know, it's got here's a here's a block, and it's got a little arrow going to another block. So the Visios are wonderful for proofing a process. I think that we are we have reached the second stage in sort of Visio evolution, which is now we have the workflow Visios that we use with our department. And now we're moving to training flowcharts, which we actually use infographic software to make because it has more this is this is awful. It's cuter. It has cuter icons that you can use, right? Like nobody wants to look at everything boxes and yeah, they don't want nobody wants to look at boxes and triangles when they can look at like little happy tubes of blood with smiley faces on them. Shout out right. to I guess it's Vizme that has little tubes of blood with smiley faces on. But anyway, yeah. you, you know, you probably you don't need that granular, super super granular layer because we've got some Vizios that are are painful. Like I, I could put up a Vizio right now that physically hurt you, you know. And and you don't need to show that to the end user, but to to answer your question directly, one hundred percent it proofs your process because you realize that there's dead ends. You go through it and you're like, well, that's a dead end. Well, that's dumb. Well, why didn't we do that? You know, so that that's good. That's better for internal use. What happens is if you try to train end users using those Visios, it's just too much confusion. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. You need the you need the dancing uh, test tubes. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Stahlkup. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Stahlkup, CMIO and medical director for the Wilma P. Mankiller Health Center. For now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. Be sure to mark your calendars for these upcoming weedy events. On April 7th, an overview of the HIPAA Notice of Proposed Rulemaking with OCR's Marissa Gordon-Wynn. This is a weedy member-only event. 
on April 21st, leveraging interoperability to advance value-based care. This is free to the industry, sponsored by Nant Health. On April 28th, ready, set, comply. Meeting the information blocking challenge. Free to the industry and sponsored by MCG. And in May, be sure to register for Weedy 2021, our annual spring conference. Pre-conference on May 14th and 17th, and the main conference, May 18th, 19th, and 20th. For more information and to register, please visit Weedy.org. We're back and we're talking with Dr. James Stalkup, CMIO and Medical Director for the Wilma P. Mankiller Health Center on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. So, uh, Dr. Stalkup, $140 million was included in the American Rescue Package uh, signed, by, signed by the president. It's been two weeks now uh, for Indian Health Service. Uh, I think you've got some commentary on this. Um, do you know where this money's headed? Well, so I thought this would be fun. Um, so I read this, right? I don't know where that money's going. Um, I guess like the political answer would be like, we look forward to, you know, IHS applying this money to better EHR and everything. But my buddy Mitch Thornbrew is the CIO of mm. IHS. Mm. So why don't I call him and put him on speakerphone? And then we'll just ask him what he's going to spend it on. It seems yeah, like that, that might go. be a good start. Yeah, let me, let me yeah let's do that. Let me see if I can get him. Let me see if I can get him. Okay. All right, give me just a second. Okay. Since he moved to D.C., he's kind of been a little bit... People in D.C. always look busier than they are. So. Yeah, I went to voicemail. It went to vo- uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to answer it. No, I, I, hadn't talked, I hadn't talked to – yeah, that would have been great if, if we'd gotten him. I hadn't talked to Mitch yet to ask him what he's thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to use it. You know, they got like a lot of EHR modernization and stuff like that. So, you know, there's two different kinds of tribal health. A lot of people don't know this. Like one kind of tribal health is the federal government actually does the tribal health, right? Okay. Like they actually – administer and they deliver the healthcare. The other kind is the federal government funds it through a variety of programs and then the tribe actually takes it on themselves. So Cherokee Nation, we take it on ourselves. So we own our own EHR. Um, you know, we, we have our own, we, we do our own purchasing and our own hiring, everything like that. So I don't know how they're going to use it. I know that, uh, $140 million Sounds like a real big number until you're trying to do EHR changes for an entire nation of uh, of uh, tribes. So we'll see. That'll be a good. Uh... That's true, but it also buys a lot of Kindle fires. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Kindle sends um, like um, sales reps to, <laughs> gonna, to, right. to D.C. to try to. I don't think there's any Kindle reps in the room when. when you- <laughs> I think out, if anybody so. can find a good uh, good use for the money, I think you'll make it go uh, pretty far. So, um, so uh, uh, we're talking about uh, telehealth. Uh, you're uh, working in a very rural area. Um, uh, access is difficult. Uh, affordability is certainly in the headlines. What's your um, What's your thoughts on the future of healthcare? Where Where do you want maybe healthcare to be five, ten years? Ooh, that's a good question. So. First off, um, I think that right now is different than it looks in the future. So here's an interesting statistic. Like when you're doing telehealth, you got to do it to cell phones because rural, non-white families have the highest 
you know, rural, poor, non-white families have the high, those are the three demographics that have the highest dependence on cell phone as primary source of internet. So you've got to deliver to cell phones. So I think that, you know, basically, you know, like Doximity's got it right. We don't use it, but Doximity's got it right. Just text the link and click it to join. Uh, hmm. The thing that's fascinating about Doximity is they're like, we're going to let you do telemedicine for free, but we're going to make it like a social media platform where we can leverage your, you know, your identity and let people market to you. And that's how we're going to make money, which I think is just fascinating. It's kind of like the basic attention token, you know, like you're paying for it through your ability to be marketed to. But I think hmm. everything's going to be app based in the future. And I think that, you know, Android's real big, like the average. You know, and I always say this, people talk about like iOS, like the EHR vendor will have something that only runs on iOS. And I'm like, yo, the average iOS user earns $80,000 a year. Mm. So you look at your patient population and if they're all earning $80,000 a year, then knock yourself out with the iOS, but Android's kind of where it's at. If you go into Walmart and look at the <laughs> look at the phones, you know, they're Android. Mm -hmm. They're Android. Mm -hmm. They're cheap and they're Android. So mm. I think that's a big thing. I think the future of healthcare, um, and I don't want to like give you a hot take. And I put this in my, I don't know if you have like, like when I'm on hot 97, like I get to freestyle, like at the end of it, I get to like yeah. do a freestyle. So I've got like a telemedicine freestyle rap, but I don't know like if you have like the beats I, or whatever, but I this, think we should, we, I think we should hear the uh, telehealth uh, freestyle. I don't know how, I, I, I don't know how to share sound, but I actually have the royalty free hip hop beat, which seems odd for the CMIO, but it seems to work if we won't get sued for the copyright. I think we're no, good. no, no. Yeah, it's fine. That's why you got to have the royalty free, but, but the, uh, the, the kind of the future and I kind of cover this in my freestyle is I think that in the future, you got to pay me for my cognitive labor. Now, I'm not talking about Cherokee Nation. I'm talking about insurance. I'm talking about Medicare and Medicaid. Like, the doctor is doing the same amount of labor virtually because it's cognitive labor. They're not performing surgery with telepresence. They're doing cognitive labor, right? So I can show you the actual analytics for time and chart that proves to you that not only do some diagnoses – are some diagnoses not any faster virtually – some complaints actually take longer to evaluate virtually. So I don't hmm. understand why there is a pay differential for me to do the same amount of cognitive reasoning may actually be a little bit higher cognitive reasoning from a Bayesian probability perspective, because I may have fewer data points, right, to go off of. I may have, you know, less preconditional probability because the patient's not available for me to take a blood pressure on or things like that. But I don't know. I just think that the the fundamental change that has to happen is we have to recognize that we're reimbursing cognitive labor. We're not reimbursing people for physically sitting in the presence of other people. And so what happens is my system's safe. Like our docs, our nurses, our leadership, shout out to the Cherokee Nation leadership. Let me say this real quick. Before COVID was even a thing, they started having daily, before work started, daily huddles with all the administration talking about how we can look to the future to keep patients safe. That's the kind of place I work in. Shout out to Cherokee Nation. Respect to all the uh, the admin in the Cherokee Nation. You know, this is this is something that that they really hit it out of the park, right? So my system is safe. But what happens when you have systems that you're paying people more money to see patients in person and bring patients into healthcare facilities and there's a pandemic out there, you know, 
you're putting them in a position like, do you want to keep your patients safe? Well, get ready to get paid twelve dollars. You know, you you don't you you can't do like you like you're you're literally incentivizing people to bring patients inside. And so, you know, I got a I got a family member that um had a doctor's appointment. I gotta be real careful. I really don't want to put this doctor on blast because I'm sure he's a good guy, right? But I got a family member. The doctor's like, no, we see people in person. And he was like, and my dad, God bless him, he thinks I'm great. You know, he's like, there's like four people on the planet. He was like, my son is the CMIO of Cherokee Nation, and he draws patients in the parking lot. So if I'm if I'm coming to see you, you're gonna draw me in the parking lot and do a telemedicine visit. My dad demanded it because his son's in the business. How many dads out there don't demand it? You know, so I I think that there's a there's a you know they're they're get it's it's a little bit messed up, right? Like I'm doing the labor, like I got a job, I'm a doctor, I'm seeing patients, I'm doing the same amount of labor. Just pay me the same, fam. You know, y'all are all on the same team. I know everybody, you know, every insurance company, and I know that there's lobbyists and everybody's doing the same thing, and it is the highest level of collusion. And I'm not trying to go on a conspiracy theory rant. I'm just saying, just pay people for the cognitive labor they do. That's all I want. We just want to get paid. I, I think this is. I mean, it's great, but what you're suggesting is it's not just it's not just you know uh, payment, but it's a shift in how we view doctors. You think about our vernacular. It's a it's a checkup. It's a physical, right? I mean, the whole the language that we use to even talk about doctors and and what you're saying is we should be thinking about them as lawyers. Like a lawyer would be just as good on the phone as they would if you go see their you know corner. Yo, Matthew, right? I don't know why you had to go there. I thought I this <laughs> podcast was going really good. They're nothing like lawyers, lawyers right? Okay. Because doctors like profit off of people getting better. Right. But, but you know, you you make a good point. Like it's, it's the physical, like one of the, sometimes I say things and I get a little bit, you know, a little bit of kind of, you know, haters come out of the woodwork. And one thing that I said one time in an interview, which I stand by is the physical exam is overrated. It's overrated. The physical exam is overrated. You know, um, it's, it is very therapeutic. It's so like, the, you know, one of the reasons that antidepressants don't really work better than placebos, and if anybody wants to debate me on that, I'm happy to engage that because there is a huge publication bias and take you to the woodshed if you want to argue that one. But anyway, one of the reasons antidepressants don't work any better than placebos is getting a placebo in an antidepressant trial is not the same as getting no treatment. Because you're going in and you're talking to people and you get it there. And yeah, they give you a sugar pill at the end of it. But look at all that stuff you got leading up to it. You know, that's therapeutic. The physical exam is therapeutic more than it is diagnostic. So, you know, we the, things change. Nobody used to like now people, it, people invest. Like I got a buddy who does wealth management he does wealth management for people who he has never met in person. And that would not happen 50 years ago. It'd be, it'd be unheard of being insane. People say you're crazy, you know? So it'll change. It'll change. People will embrace telemedicine because the market's going to dictate it. I mean, the consumers want it, you know, um, this is definitely a jump start, and it's kind of a jump start before a lot of people were ready, but people getting ready now. It, it, it is interesting because it does change your, you know, even even you said there's a placebo effect, right? So I wonder what the telehealth does to that sense of being a patient. Like when I walk into a hospital, I feel like two inches tall. I feel like, you know, very clean. It smells a little stinky, but I feel like I'm being taken care of if, if I can do that from my home laying in my bed. I wonder if that changes my sense of, 
of patient. And, and maybe it, maybe it's the great equalizer. Maybe it's better than walking into a huge hospital and feeling, uh, feeling a little nervous about walking in it in the first place. So it's just well, interesting. You, like, think about up. the, uh, think about the therapeutic relationship. So like I had to, I had to go to the doctor one time, right? Went and saw a nurse practitioner and, um, she uh, sat with her back to me the whole time typing on the keyboard. I know these EHRs are hard to use. Like, I get it, you know. Um, but, it, like, the vibes weren't right. I don't know if you ever had a provider, like, the vibes weren't right. But, like, I choose providers based on vibes. And the vibes weren't right. And so I was going to get another provider. I'm like, well, I need to see another provider, okay? So check this out, Matthew. Now I have to take another day off work. Mm-hmm. I have to go through all the scheduling process. I have to get in my car and drive up there and do all this stuff for the choice of another provider. So let me ask you this. Let's say that, that, that a patient has a condition like diabetes and they want a doctor they have confidence in. It's a lot easier to shop around if you're doing it virtually, right? You don't have the same investment into getting that initial visit. And so it seems to me like that's something that nobody's talked about, how you know doctor shopping has been tied into like opioid use, but the actual idea of somebody getting a doctor that they feel therapeutically good with, you know, is, is very powerful. You know, that's very, very powerful. Uh, I think it's great. That that brings us into, you know, consumer driven healthcare and everything else. This has been a great conversation uh, with Dr. James Stalkup. Dr. James, uh, any resources that you'd like uh, websites or any upcoming events that you want to uh, tell the listeners about? So, yo, I want to give just a, a few plugs here. First off, um, TribalNet, right? So TribalNet, Tribal Hub, we've got a big uh, big in-person conference coming up in November, and that's going to be the 2021 TribalNet. And I got asked to MC that conference. And so <laughs> if you go to that conference, you get to see – some of my sketches. So Stephanie Buckskin and I are doing, uh, we're, we're doing a series of sketches for that. They have killed during the read through. So we're going to make that a really fun conference. Uh, it's going to be in person. It's going to be safe. It's going to be wonderful. Now this covers more than just healthcare, right? This is all tribal businesses and, and, uh, entertainment and things like that. So that's a big thing that's coming up. Also, I teach job interviewing. I don't make any money on it. It's a labor of love. But you can go to James Stalkup, S-T-A-L-L-C-U-P, uh, is a my YouTube channel in which I have dozens of videos teaching you how to job interview. If you're looking for a job, go check it out. Also got a blog, stoicstalkup.com, talk about stoicism and philosophy and link to my videos and things like that. So all of these are areas that you can find me and watch the content. If you're looking for a moped in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, I would recommend <laughs> that you go to Moped U, Moped University. It's my buddy Ryan Malone. He's a real big uh, figure in the uh, Arkansas exotic car scene. So you can go support Ryan Malone and buy a moped. And uh, Sphere Wealth Management is my buddy who does wealth management. He's very, very skilled. His name's John Paul. And that's all the plugs I got. Well, I threw them all. I threw them all out. Do people usually plug a bunch of stuff? Uh, well, they don't, you usually don't give us mopeds and wealth management. But hey, uh, I think we're a, we're a resource for everybody. If you so. ride a moped <laughs> and you focus on wealth management, your life is on a good trajectory. You know, yeah, what I think that's pretty. It seems like those go hand in hand. And also have an iPhone. Sounds like we're doing pretty good, right? So. <laughs> 
Well, uh, thank you very much. It's been a great uh, discussion. Dr. James, always glad to have you on the show. Anytime you want to come back, uh, good luck to your star. Go live as April and your son. We'll look for it in the sky. Oh, yeah, that's going to be good. It's by, um, it's by Pegasus, the okay. constellation. I got to be honest with you, Matthew. I don't know enough about celestial like locations to tell you how to find it, but it's like you look at Pegasus and then look to the right. And it's kind Wait, of but dumb. you you have seen it though. You have found it at some point. You did see it. I I okay. <laughs> I saw, I got the chart out and I saw a there? star that may have been it. Okay, good. <laughs> it may have been. Maybe maybe not. Shout out to the Cherokee Nation Health IT team. Boy, I wish I could have everybody on here. I think they do better than I than I could do. We got a really good team. Got forty two people who are awesome, Matthew. Maybe, really good. Maybe we'll get more of your team on next time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Stalkup. All right. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.